This is FBG Jen. And FBG Kristen. And I'm FBG Margot, host and producer. You're listening to the podcast that will help you keep a lid on the junk in the trunk and inspire you to live a happy and confident life. Each episode, we chat with motivational experts and celebs and share our own candid adventures in being healthy. If you're looking for a podcast that's equal parts hilarious and enlightening, well then welcome to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Love My Skivvies, a monthly subscription service for undies that are as cute as they are comfy. And ladies, these are designed for workouts and your everyday life. Just pick your size and your style, and you'll never have to think about what's in your panty drawer again, because badass women need panties that live up to our adventures. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. This is FBG Margo, and on the line today, we have FBG Jen. Hey, guys. And we have FBG Kristen. Hello. And we have a very special, we have two guests today. It's Scott and Jenny Jurek. And Kristen, can you tell our audience about Scott and Jenny and your big, big fan and how he has changed you and the way you train right now? Well, Scott Jurek is arguably like, I mean, he is one of the greatest athletes, ultra runners of all time. So if you've read his previous book, Eat and Run, you may have been really inspired by learning about his background and the way he trains and the way he remains focused and committed when he's doing things like, you know, 100 milers or 150 milers. And, you know, it's funny because, like, I love the idea of the whole ultra marathon thing. But as somebody who doesn't even run more than a half marathon, like my longest ever is a 25K, a lot of times I, I don't necessarily connect with those people but there's something about him, and I, I guess part of it probably is that he is so passionate about his plant-based lifestyle. He's been a vegan for a long time. So going into this, I was really excited just because I he has just like in his own way through his books and through his actions, like he's spoken to me and to so many people I know. And it was really neat when I after we did this interview, I I went and I did a run that night because there was no way I was going to not run. And as you guys might remember, I've been having a really long, slow comeback from, from an injury. And I've been taking a little bit of a cautious approach. And then after talking to him and I'd been rereading Eat and Run, and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm done being cautious. Like, I'm not going to be stupid, but I, I don't want to sit back and wonder when I'm going to be okay. I want to push the limits because that's something that that he's really done is he he pushes and he pays attention to his body. You know, he's got a background in physical therapy, so he certainly knows his way around, you know, the the muscles and he knows when there's an injury, but he also understands that sometimes you, you can do a lot more on an injury than than maybe you would think. So I went and I had just like the most killer run. It was on the one hill here in Sarasota. <laughs> and and honestly, like, I kind of killed it. And it felt so good. And it felt, I felt more like me than I had in months. And I, I've just sort of held on to that. Not every run has been like that. Not every workout has had that sort of a, um, a feeling for me. But more and more of them have. Um, I finished that run and then I said, you know what? That felt okay. I'm going to sign up for a trail run. And it wasn't a long one. It was a, a five miler, but it was a little longer than I've been doing. And I certainly haven't been racing, but I just really felt inspired to, I don't know, just push through and see what I can do. And I figure the worst thing that can happen is I realize that things don't feel okay and I need to stop. 
And that's all right. But it doesn't mean that I have to like sit back and keep saying no to things that I would otherwise really like to do. So, you know, thank you, Scott. And, you know, it, it was awesome to talk to him and and to Jenny both. I wasn't as familiar with her, but she's certainly got her own like fascinating, interesting athletic background as well. So both of them are incredibly inspiring. They make a great duo, don't they? I mean, they, they, they're on this interview together and they really are a team and you could really feel how much admiration they have for the other one, right? It's really like, I think like couples goals. I, I found them very yeah. inspiring. Yeah. And it, it was cool because when we were talking to them, you know, they, so the reason that they were on the show or are on the show today is to talk about North, which is their book that they wrote together about Scott running the Appalachian Trail and setting a world record for the speed in which he was doing that. And she was, she was his support, which for anybody who's ever supported someone at just a regular ultra marathon, you know that that's involved. Supporting someone along something that is this sort of an undertaking is a whole other thing. And it was really neat to to hear from her, you know, her opinions on and her feelings about, you know, the fact that, yes, she had to give things up in order to do this and help him achieve this. But, you know, also hearing what she got out of it. And yeah, I mean, it's a lot because it says a lot about their relationship. And you said your friends were really jealous that you got to talk to him? Yes, it was cool. I posted a picture after my run. And, you know, like I have a lot of friends who get into our podcast because obviously we're talking about cool stuff and talking to awesome people. But man, did I get flooded <laughs> with stuff from my friends. And I still like last week I went to a yoga class and ran into someone I hadn't seen before. She was like, hold on, I need you to tell me more. What was it really like? And I'm like, well, first of all, you're just going to have to listen because I'm not going to give it all away. And second of all, it was awesome. Of course it was awesome. Well, it was also amazing that, I, I mean, that he, actually, they both agreed to do the interview in a lot of ways because they had just had a baby. Like she literally <laughs> just had a baby. So remember when we asked them to be on the show, their PR person was kind of like, oh, well, you know, maybe it kind of depends. I just had a baby. And I was like, oh, well, then we can wait. And no, they like graciously gave up their time. And you can kind of hear the little one in the background, which is cool. But I, I was just kind of floored by that, that level of generosity and them telling their story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like, not only had they just had a baby, but they had also been on the road doing like doing press for North for, I don't know, I don't even remember how long, like a long time. They'd only been home for hours, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. And just to give you guys context. So we normally when we do these shows, I'm going <laughs> to peel back the curtain here a little bit, but we use mm-hmm. Skype and then I Skype the three of them in and I Skype in the person we're going to talk to. And what I think happened is Scott and Jenny, they were holding their son and they were giving the interview. They were talking into a laptop. And unfortunately, sometimes I think when Jenny was holding her baby in a particular way, her voice didn't carry very far so we got her a a few times like half the time she she spoke we got her but a few times we didn't unfortunately I had to I just couldn't use it and because one of the things she said that I really loved is that he wore the exact same outfit on the first day he ran and the last day he ran which was not planned and it's just kind of really hilarious but you can just tell by just listening to them the warmth that they have and they how much they love each other and you're just going to love this interview you guys I think it was just one of our best hello awesome I'm oh, sorry <laughs> I totally agree it was like it was so oh. great it was definitely one of our best 
Oh yeah, sorry. I thought that that was it. That we were done. So did I. <laughs> I was like, that perfect. <laughs> All right. So we're just gonna go. There you go. So here we go right into our interview today <laughs> with Scott and Jenny Jurek. Remember, this episode is sponsored by Love My Skivvies, a monthly subscription service for undies that we absolutely adore. Ladies, you got to check them out at lovemyskivvies.com. Okay, that's L-U-V-M-Y-S-K-I-V-V-I-E-S.com. And for being a listener, you can even save 25% off your first month. Just enter the code FBG, that's for Fit Bottom Girls, FBG, at checkout, and you're good to go. Again, that's lovemyskivvies.com, L-U-V-M-Y-S-K-I-V-V-I-E-S.com. Today's guests are Scott and Jenny Jurek. They are the co-authors of the book, North, Finding My Way While Running the Appalachian Trail. Scott Jurek is considered one of the greatest long-distance runners of all time. He has claimed victories in nearly all of Ultra Running's elite trail and road events, including the Western State's 100-mile endurance run, which he won a record seven times. He is also the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Eat and Run. In 2015, Scott decided to mark the end of a 20-year career as a competitive runner by undertaking what would be his mind and body's greatest test, establishing a new fastest known time for running the entire length of the Appalachian Trail. That's 2,189 miles. In order to set the record each and every day, rain, and there was lots of rain or shine, for 46 days straight and no days off, Scott would run, stumble, or scramble nearly 50 miles on average over a rutted, rocky, and treacherous trail. Ascend and descend an average of 13,000 square feet, which is more than 113 miles during the entire course of the run. He needed to eat more than 6,000 calories a day as a vegan, and he still managed to lose 19 pounds, by the way, on an already lean frame. And by his side was Jenny, and every night they slept in double bed in the back of their van. We are so lucky to have them both on the show today. You can follow them on social media at Scott Jurek. Welcome to the show, Scott and Jenny Jurek. Oh, thanks for having us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have you on our show today. This is FBG Margo, and on the line today, we have FBG Jen. Hi. And we have FBG Kristen. Hey. So I'm going to ask you guys the first question, and we'll just bring it right to the beginning. In 2015, Scott, you decided to run the entire Appalachian Trail. Why on earth did you want to do this? What was the inspiration for this? And just my follow-up, Jenny... How did you respond the first time he brought this up to you? Well, I was at a point in my career where, you know, I was close to, I guess, officially retiring, feeling like, you know, I had done quite a bit, but there was still a few things I had kind of left on my to-do list. And I'd always wanted to do one of the national scenic trails and, and go after a speed record, but the, the timing was never great. And I was also trying to still race a few hundred milers here and there and kind of doing them half-heartedly or just, just not feeling like I had that drive and passion that I had when I was, you know, at the peak of my career. And I guess I was looking for something new, something big and something that would, you know, push me to my limits and something that I'd be fired up and get that passion back. Um, and my first reaction was why it sounded so <laughs> random <laughs> it definitely i mean he said the appalachian trail it sounded so random and like out of left field for us because 
we love the PCT. We, we always talk about doing the Colorado Trail and Arizona Trail. He's never really mentioned the Appalachian Trail. So I didn't really know what he what he wanted to get out of it. And it kind of seemed like he was grasping at straws. You know, I just it just didn't seem um, it didn't seem like well thought out to me. But then he then I understood why later. So how Scott, how was this different than like all the other races you did? Well, it's completely different in the regard that you were talking a day after day after day type of challenge. Most ultramarathons are done in hours or done within a one day time frame. There's a couple that go on for, you know, day and a half, two days, but most of my races, you know, I'd be done you know, within 20 four hours. And I think it was completely different when you think of this being, you know, it's almost like, uh, and, and I use this kind of, cause it wasn't really a race, but it was like doing a 50 mile race every day. And it, even harder because Jenny was, there were no aid stations out there. There's no extra support. It's all on us. And so she had the you know, duties of like finding food and all these things along the trail. So that was completely different than the, than the typical, 100 mile or 50 mile type of race that I, I was used to doing. Would you say that it was harder physically or harder mentally? Oh, uh, both of those. And then yeah. I would say like on some other level, like it just, it's, uh, it was so hard. It was probably the hardest thing I've ever done in terms of my athletic career on, on the mental component, on the, the physical side. It just, it really pushed me to my limits. I mean, if you can imagine, I, a lot of people, wouldn't even think about doing 350 mile weeks over the type of terrain that the Appalachian Trail covers, you know, climbing 10 to 15,000 feet of uh, vertical each day and descending that much over rocks, roots, and just doing that day after day after day. That that was, you know, the, the, the mental challenge was realizing, okay, I'm going to do that again tomorrow and the day after that, the day after that. It was just the magnitude of it was, uh, was huge. Hard to wrap so- even my mind around it. Yeah, uh, times 100 over here. So, uh, Jenny, you acted as support in this, as you just mentioned, Scott. And, I mean, I know that that's, you know, that in itself is no cakewalk. So I'm wondering if you have some tips that you would offer someone who is acting as their partner's race support. And, Scott, I also wondered if you have advice you'd offer a racer on maybe how to show their support proper appreciation. Um, you know, I've supported at Scott at a lot of races, but also just a lot of my friends at races, and it's something that I love to do. I love seeing my friends reach their goals. You know, it's fun to be a part of that. But this was something that where he was asking me to sacrifice my summer, like my entire, you know, um, all the fun times that I've been looking forward to, all my own racing and stuff. And so it was kind of a big ask. But the thing is, is that when you – I mean, for us, he's so supportive of me, of everything I do at home and my career and in our in my climbing pursuit. So this was like, you know, I was happy to give back. I was super happy to um, to help him find that that spark or whatever he was looking for. And I think just advice for somebody who's going to crew somebody is is just to make sure you feel appreciated and it's balanced you know because I didn't have any resentment and I wasn't bitter I wasn't like oh 
I'm here I am slaving over you just because it was a fun adventure for me too and he always makes me feel appreciated so um, I guess I just want I would just say um, do it if you want to do it and you feel like it's a healthy balance and a give and take for whatever relationship if it's your friend or your partner yeah that that's my two cents <laughs> you know from the other side of things I think you know Jenny did mention I think you know, you have to give as well. And I think sometimes a partner, and it could be male or female. I, I have friends, uh, the female's the runner and the, the partner is the supporter and they're not into the, the running aspect. And so I think it could go both ways. And it, a lot of times it can be a one-sided type of thing, but like Jenny mentioned, it, it's making sure that not only do you feel appreciated um, or do you appreciate that person who's helping you, but, you know, make sure you give back. And I think there needs to be a balance to that. Um, there also needs to be communication. So when you're um, when you're out there and you're toiling mentally, physically, um, it can be hard to, you know, still be communicative and you know supportive. And so Jenny and I, you know, we had a few times where that there was some strain, but overall, because we're good communicators, because we understand each other, um, there has to be that mutual understanding and respect and trust. And those are things I think are great. In fact, this is probably one of those things where most people would avoid. I have friends that don't have their partners or spouses uh, crew for them or pace them because it's it's just like, no, we, we don't work that way. But Jenny and I love to challenge it, the relationship. And I think it's a great opportunity. Anytime you enter into a um, relationship, you, you have to challenge it a bit, too. So not always running 2,200 miles is maybe the best way to do that, but or, or for everyone. But... <laughs> Well, that leads me to ask you, like, what are the advantages and disadvantages of being with someone who's just as passionate about running or whatever you're into as you are? Oh, for, for me, I would say I think it, it is helpful. Um, I know, you know, Jenny, she's done her own, you know, running. She, she loves to run for climbing and she's done the Ultra Trail Tour de Mont Blanc. She's definitely done a lot of hard ultras, so she knows what it takes. And I think you don't have to have a partner or um, a friend who's done the races. They just have to understand like, Oh, I understand, you know, where they're going now mentally. I have, you know, I understand where they are physically. And if you can have that understanding, I don't think you have to have the experience, but it does help. Um, Jenny having challenged herself, you know, physically and climbing as well as running, it, it helps for her to know because she gives me a lot of tough love. And I think the, that's the other aspect too, that can be hard. Sometimes, you know, partners want to, comfort their loved one and they want to you know help their friend if they feel like they're suffering and you still have to be kind of that you know tough love like get out there suck it up you know we're not we're not stopping now <laughs> you're going to continue on and and that's um you have to find out that balance and and i think you know for advice on that level make sure that you talk to your you know fellow runner or the person that you're crewing and make sure they understand you know what works best because they might not like the real gruff, tough love. Like they might, it needed a little sugar coated. So Jenny, in the middle of all this, like crazy feet, you know, accomplishing everything. You're also recovering from a ruptured fallopian tube and a failed pregnancy, which, you know, is, is obviously emotionally, but also physically, you know, hard. Did being out there with him, did it make it harder to heal, easier to heal? Like what was, what was that like? Um, it actually made it easier to heal for me. And it was, you know, it was my idea too. Or, well, it was 
always initially his idea, but once he said it, it sounded great because I wanted to escape from the hospital and the doctor's appointments and blood tests. And like, I wanted to get away from everybody asking me like, how's it going? What's, you know, what's up? Any luck? Um, you know, like we're just super open. So all of our friends knew what was going on. And, and it just got to a point where I needed to, um, to kind of recenter myself and stop focusing on all this other stuff that was going on externally. And so it was really helpful for me to be in the mountains to heal and to focus on a different goal. We had this new goal that we were doing together and that was, it was just really great and refreshing for me. That's awesome. And congrats on your new baby. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I would love for you guys to take us through what a typical day on the Appalachian Trail looked like, if there is such a thing as a typical day on the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, uh, well, there, okay. <laughs> there are definitely a lot of similarities day to day, but each day, that's what I guess made the challenge, you know, fun and not knowing, I guess, because we didn't rehearse it because I had only been on 20 miles, Jenny, three miles. We didn't go out and drive our van to find all the places we need to crew. Um, every day was a completely different day, but um, it but would at start the same out. Time, it was the same. It was like Groundhog's Day, like for six weeks. He would wake up. And he would just, like, drag himself out of bed. It was so just laborious for me to watch him because he would kind of not procrastinate, but I could tell he wasn't psyched about his dirty, soggy clothes and his muddy socks, his wet shoes, and just, like, to get that sight going. Like, when he knew what he just went through the day before, and he was like, ugh, I have to do that all over again today. So... He always said, oh, I want to get going before the sun comes up. I want to wake up early. I want to get in my miles, you know, before it gets really hot. But he could never get out of the van. He could never, like, get going as quickly as he'd hoped. And I think it's just, it's that mental thing. It's like, uh, um, is I think he wasn't just, like, jumping out of bed to, do another 50 miles on the AT. So it was a little bit painful for me to watch him get going because I had to be like, okay, dude, hurry it up, hurry it up, let's get this thing rolling. Um, total tough love, like almost push him out the door and drive away. <laughs> um, and then, but then once he kind of loosened up in the morning and got those first miles in, then his face would change, his attitude would change, his body would relax a little bit. And he'd be having fun again. But initially, the start was always tough for me to watch and to be a part of. And and Jenny's job of, you know, I, I just had to follow the white blazes and, you know, take care of myself in between the times that she would meet me. But, you know, as soon as it wasn't like she got to sleep in, it wasn't like she kicked me out the door and like, oh, yeah, I'll take a nap for two hours. Because right away, she had to go into the mode of, okay, where am I going to get gas? Where am I going to get groceries? Where am I going to you know, do laundry every few days. I mean, her, she had the logistical, um, you know, challenge of like, how do I get all these things done while taking care of Scott and navigating these crazy roads? So for her, um, my day was pretty simple. It was, you know, follow the white blazes down the trail, um, get to the next road crossing where Jenny might meet me sometimes 10, 15 miles down the way. Some of the scarier uh, or just more remote stretches, I would, you know, try and make sure that she 
wouldn't have to stop at when we were by ourselves. So she would drive, you know, sometimes meet me in 25 miles and maybe she'd be lucky to find a, a larger uh, grocery store in a bigger town or something like that. But she, she had to take care of all of those aspects. And for me, I, I got to run and hike and, and it was actually, I wouldn't say easy, but it was a much more simple existence than what she had to do. And then people would be like, Oh, where's the social media posts? And you know, like, we haven't heard updates in a while. And part of that was that we were so remote most of the time, Jenny too. So it, it definitely became a, a challenge. And then we had people joining us and a typical day, you know, midway through the trail, we had all these people um, coming out, which was amazing, the, the support, but it also became uh, for both of us trying to manage that. And, you know, everybody had tons of questions and, you know, a lot of people wanted to, to know where I was. And Jenny sometimes needed to take a nap or hang laundry or do some of those things, too. So when you're out there and it's, you know, one of those long days and you didn't feel like getting out of bed in the morning and you're just putting one foot in front of the other, how do you occupy your mind to keep you motivated to keep running? So a, a number of different things, um, depending upon, you know, where I was mentally, one of the, the biggest things that I would try to do is focus on small goals. And that would be you know, getting to the next for instance, road crossing, you know, like, okay, let's focus on the next 12 miles. Or sometimes it was, let's get to the next, you know, mountaintop or, you know, major landmark that might be just a few miles away or get over the next, <laughs> next climb. And sometimes putting one foot in front of the other, just focusing almost like a meditative, you know, focus on the breath, focus on my feet, just to like bring down and distill the moment into like simple present, aspects versus think too far ahead because again if i had thought like okay i've got to do 52 miles today or you know i'm going to be covering you know a thousand miles by the end of you know three weeks it, it would just be too enormous so like breaking the goals down was, was really helpful and breaking the day down um, was super helpful and then having this newness of exploring and that's what made it fun too and taking my mind off of the sometimes monotony because that's that's the one thing about the Appalachian Trail if you can imagine it's this big canopied trail that doesn't pop out into these open vistas a lot of times you're you're stuck down in what's called the green tunnel <laughs> I like to give it that nickname and so it can feel very claustrophobic it can kind of feel like you've been in this spot for hours because a lot of things look similar and you you try to find the new things along the way. You try to find the I guess unique aspects. I used music a lot too to get me out of the the mental, um, I guess slumps that I would have. And I would also think a lot about you know Jenny and the struggles and the physical strength she showed in the surgeries. And I I remember her almost hemorrhaging to death on our kitchen floor and not realizing what was going on when she had her ectopic pregnancy. So I would pull myself, you know, back to those kind of things and draw strength from them, including my mother and, and how she had struggled with MS. And I'm like, you know, I can't complain about a torn muscle, a bad knee, you know, bruised feet, blistered feet. I have to, you know, I have it pretty good right now. So just giving a different perspective was helpful too mentally. Mm. What was the most unexpected thing to come out of your experience on the Appalachian Trail? Oh, a lot of different things. I'd say Jenny. For me, well, for me, was we did not expect all these people to come out. And 
Partly because I think we're naive. I didn't realize it was so close to all these major metropolises, and like, I didn't know that it ran through communities, and um, and that was by design. The original planners of the AT kind of designed it to connect communities and make it like it is such a social trail. So I didn't realize that. Yeah, she definitely had the crazier job. I mean, I I, I thought a few people might come out, but. I didn't think for me from, you know, somebody who's trying to set a record and be in that mindset, it was, it was um, difficult at times to answer the questions. And I would often tell people, you know, Hey, tell me about the area here. Give me a little history lesson or, you know, tell me about, you know, where you like to run um, and just get them kind of giving me a little bit of a, a break. Cause mentally I, I couldn't sometimes answer questions or I couldn't be, um, on in that regard, because I had to focus on you know the task at hand, and that, that was a unique um, challenge. I've never done anything where I've told people like, "Hey, come on and join me as I'm trying to you know <laughs> be be in the zone, so to speak, and and setting a record." And while it was hard and taxing at times mentally, and <clears throat> it probably was uh, taking some life energy out of me, it it definitely filled me and gave me so much perspective. I mean, there was a gentleman who came out who had just survived leukemia that spring and told me that his gift to himself was to run 30 miles with me and he was going to run 30 miles with me that day. And so it, it really gave me a perspective of like, I don't really have it that bad. And it actually helped motivate me a lot more than I, I realized anything like that would. The other thing too is just the potential that we all have <laughs> seems to be untapped. And I, I thought at many points along the way that I, I had gone as deep as I could go and and dug in and tried to squeeze every bit of potential out of me. And then another situation would arise on the trail, you know, a hundred miles later, 200 miles later, and I would, I would have to dig even deeper. And I think that was something I didn't think would happen time and time again. I thought, you know, okay, I'll have to go deep a, f a few times, but not on the level. It was like every day I had to find, um, a little extra bit of strength that I didn't think I had. And that was what I think was so unique with this journey. So I would really love to talk a little bit about the running community because we are like a, we're a week away after the Boston Marathon right now as we're talking. And I'm sure we've all heard about how the female winner, Desi Linden, nearly quit, but instead she focused on helping her fellow racers and she credits that as kind of giving her 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 legs back um and she came back to win and scott you've been known to stick around to cheer on like the last runner at races even though you've been there for a long time and finished so could you talk a little bit about what being a part of the running and maybe more specifically the ultra running community and that racing community what does that mean to you and do you feel like you have a responsibility to it because of the level at which you compete I think it's, you know, it's a duty um, and we all do it maybe in a different, on a different level. Like some people just can't, some people can't be around some races and volunteer unless they're in the thick of it and racing hard. I mean, so I, I can appreciate, you know, some people have different levels that they can go out and support. You know, some people may not be able to go and help their friend break their own record. But um, I've always just felt, you know, it's just who I am. It, it's part of um, the larger community, not just in the sport of running, but also just mankind and humankind. Like we, we want to help each other. And 
there is this sense of like being a part of it. Our, our buddy Timmy, who came out for a week, he's not even a runner. He's a climber that Jenny's known for a long time. And he was just like, gosh, it was so cool. He was like, it was some of the most original thought I've had on aspects of endurance. And um, so I, I think, you know, it, it, it's, it's really an experience. And when you help somebody achieve a goal and you're, you're part of that, you get something out of it and everybody is going to pull something different. But as anybody could tell you, like volunteering, it is like a volunteering type thing, but even deeper because you sometimes have to do things that are tough to do. Like, you know, Jenny sometimes had to see me in pain and just emotional and mental exhaustion to the point where she's like, gosh, is he ever going to be the same? And my friends had to do that too. And they, it was hard for them to do that. But I also feel like it's like they're experiencing it on another level and without people like speed goat or horty we mentioned our, uh, our good friends in the book i think they also loved um seeing somebody else kind of suffer on the level that they've suffered there's like um, misery loves company and i think we, we can relate like oh yeah i want them to see what it's really like and they they also wanted to see like what's it like on the other side and and that again, it's, it's all about perspective. I think running, I've been able to enjoy running for so many years because I love the different angles and, and watching it from a volunteering standpoint or helping others is just as important as, you know, running the miles yourself and achieving your goals. Well, speaking of misery, you were running with a torn quad muscle for quite a bit there. How on earth did you manage to run and heal yourself at the same time? Well, I, I, um, I started walking only, and I think lessening the stress was the biggest part. And I mentioned this. It, it was pretty mentally, mentally just uh, I was at the bottom of, you know, the, basically I went from this high of like the first week I was feeling amazing, and Jenny and I were having a blast. We were getting into a rhythm, and then all of a sudden I get these two injuries that are so debilitating, so so much pain, probably the worst pain I've ever been in my life. And then trying to figure out, like, what are we going to do now? And I remember telling Jenny, and I don't want to spoil uh, the book, but, you know, I was at the point where I'm like, let's just pack up the van. Like, we're done. Like, it's going to be over tomorrow. Like, I'll try and walk. But my buddy Horty happened to be down there helping us for a few days. And he was like, you know, your body will rem remember how to heal itself. It'll find a pathway. And it really stuck with me. And whether it was experience, um, as well as trying to do all the things that help heal a body, we would ice consistently. I was not running a step and just making sure I'd lessen the load to my legs with my, my hiking poles and just making sure to keep moving and get 30 some miles a day for those couple days, but just try to lessen the load as much as I could. And then my body found a way to heal itself. As long as I wasn't destroying it or stressing it too much, it, it started rebounding. And gradually over the course of four or five days, I was back running. Wow. That's so incredible. Can you compare and contrast your first day on the trail to your last day on the trail? <laughs> what those feelings were like, what those thoughts were like, how your body felt, what your expectations were. Take us through that, please. And let, I want to have Jenny, yeah. It was like, you know, when you start something new, there's like this giddiness and this like youthfulness 
you know, I was like a kid again, you know, running was just like fun. And I write about this in North that I, I it, it was like the, the passion that I've had when I first started running. And then as you know, the journey went on by the end, I, you know, had lived a couple lifetimes and then some, and had this like wisdom, had this, like Jenny said, this real like physical, mental hardness to me, but also a softness. I think the trail, you know, beat me down in a way that I went out there because I wanted to find a tool that could, you know, pry me open and, you know, help with a transformative process of really, and you have to get through all the tough stuff. And on the last day, it was almost like there were similarities in the first day there, there was a newness and an ease, like Jenny mentioned, that came after all the struggles. And, you know, as I was going up Katahdin, even though it was like one of the, the most challenging mountains that you traverse on the trail, there was like this lightness and ease to everything. Even though I didn't look like I was moving that fast, um, I just felt free. And, you know, Jenny noticed that in my movements. And I, I think that's what's really, you know, I guess, uh, transformative about the whole process is that I almost kind of ended up in the, the same place, like that, that youthfulness. But I had to go through all this, um, you know, aging and <laughs> just really mental and physical kind of anguish uh, to get to that ease at the end. And that's why I think we all do hard things. I mean, it's good to put yourself in a hard situation, um, a difficult situation. I don't know if you, if everyone has to do that for 46 days or 2,200 miles, but, you know, challenging ourselves is something that makes us better people, I think, in the end. So let's talk a little bit about food, because that is, you know, a pretty important part of doing this sort of endurance sport. And I know that, Scott, you've described yourself as a serious vegan, I think, and you guys are really passionate about the vegetarian lifestyle. So could you talk a little bit about, you know, what's involved in food prep, what you guys need to do on a regular basis to fuel your lifestyle? And also, maybe you could just touch on the the question that I know you get all the time because I get it all the time as well, which is, oh my God, how do you get enough protein? Mm-hmm. Some of the, the simple things. And I've, after, you know, being you know, vegan now for, you know, it's going on 18 years, almost 19. I've found it to not be as like a lot of people assume, oh, it's got to be so much work and so much hassle. And we've kind of just built it into the rhythms of our lifestyle. And I love to cook and spend time in the kitchen. So it's for me, I I enjoy finding, you know, new foods, but um, for some people it, it definitely can be effort. And if they haven't put a lot of effort into their, their diet or, or meal preparation, being plant-based can be difficult um, to start, but it, for us, it just kind of seems like part of the the way we operate now. And getting enough protein doesn't seem like a struggle like it did when I first started. Or you know, being worried about oh, am I am I going to be you know strong enough and and competing enough and and doing it for so long and being successful at it, I think has maybe eased some of those. But for anybody embarking on a new lifestyle change or a diet change. It, it can be challenging at first. And especially when we were on the AT, I think we had, um, you know, I had these visions of Jenny, you know, making me all these meals. I even brought the griddle for making pancakes and um, just had this thought of like, oh yeah, she'll have plenty of time to do all these things. And Jenny is not the cook at home. She's more of my sous chef and, and helping out. So <laughs> I was probably asking a, a bit more of her to, to think she was going to be cooking all the time. And um, just finding um, food out on the trail um, or out in these small communities was difficult for her. 
getting to your question about where do you get the protein, protein's not so much the issue, it's just sheer calories. And when I was on the trail, the things that I craved the most were not necessarily protein dense foods. I needed to get enough protein, but the big issue is just getting enough calories. So it was the fatty foods. It was the coconut milk, Thai curries that I was craving. And I was always asking Jay, hey, can you get me some Thai food somewhere? And she'd be like, Thai food? I can't find, you know, <laughs> regular food. So um, I would, you know, ask people like, oh, you know, could you get us, you know, some avocado maki? I would crave, you know, fatty, rich things and tastes and textures that, you know, I missed from from home. And, you know, I'd pour olive oil on my pasta at night. I even took swigs of flaxseed oil in the morning sometimes, choke those down because I knew I would need to make things dense. And Jenny would make these, like we called them, or I called, started calling them fat sandwiches, basically, you know, coconut oil drenched toast that she would make on the griddle, lathered with mayo, avocado slices, and um, vegan cheese slices when she could find them. And they're basically like these grilled cheese fat sandwiches. And <laughs> one point where I was like, okay, these are almost too dense in calories, but I just needed to get tons of calories in me at all times. And I was doing, you know, the cliff bars and the cliff shots and blocks, all the sports foods, but I was also, you know, needing to really eat dense fatty foods. And then of course, you know, get enough protein, but as long as you eat enough calories, protein's not a big issue on a plant-based diet. It's really, if you're active and especially if trying to do something like the Appalachian Trail, it's, it's really about getting enough calories. And for me, it was like six to 8,000 calories. And then I even still lost weight. How did you sleep at night? Did you sleep well? Did you just like, fall asleep like a rock? I mean, and how did your body feel with all that lactic acid and everything? I could sleep anywhere. <laughs> I got very lucky good. ones. I could, sleep. <laughs> I could sleep on rocks. I could sleep in, you know basically a bed of leaves anywhere like that was the the difficult thing is that I could almost sleep too well and Jenny and I just had this small it was basically maybe slightly bigger than a twin size bed but about the size of a twin bed in our van and it didn't matter I could be sleeping one time Jenny had to park on this road because there was nowhere else to park and it was at an angle um, and she thought oh he's going to roll out of bed but I could sleep on angles you name it and I would just be out because most nights especially you know, after a week and a half, two weeks in, you know, I was lucky to get four hours, like five hours was sleeping, you know, eight to 10 hours at home. A lot of nights it was two hours, sometimes one hour on a rock here or with a bug net over me, um, go down the trail, maybe get another two hours type of thing. So I wasn't even getting to sleep in the comforts of the van, which, um, again, sometimes those comforts of the van, as simple as they were, felt like a palace. And that's where Jenny, like, she she was always making sure that the van was you know comfortable enough and it was it was cozy we had a great i think uh we had a we had a really good time despite all the the hard difficult stuff we were trying to do out there so i i have a two-part question what's harder um <laughs> sleeping with a newborn or sleeping <laughs> on the appalachian trail <laughs> whoa that's a difficult one <laughs> seems like we can kind of jump into that mode of like oh i gotta get up now and that that was like the hardest thing on the at was like getting up and getting moving and and now i don't have to run 50 miles i just need to change a diaper or you know help with some feeding and, and that sort of so um yeah in some ways i'd say it's almost a little easier um <laughs> the cake. Jenny, so we, got, cake. we got some good training yeah exactly. <laughs> it's all it's all about perspective that's really it, yes it is all about perspective so what what is next for you two? like jenny mentioned writing um this book has probably been more challenging than doing the appalachian trail itself i feel like you know we we did the appalachian trail um 
we kind of got got in the mode of like finally after four years we we were able to have a, a child and Raven was brought into our life and so it's kind of been crazy then you know finishing this book and now being on book tour so um, like Jenny said I I owe her a good vacation we owe ourselves a vacation I feel like we're we've kind of just been going nonstop. And maybe next year we'll be ready for uh, another big adventure. I know a lot of people, after following along, were like, Scott, what's what's next year? You know, the year after I've done the Appalachian Trail. And I'm like, these are kind of like big things. They're, they're you know, once in a lifetime. Maybe I could do a couple of these. But um, we're finally feeling mentally and physically. I mean, physically it took a while to recover, but I think mentally even more because it really takes a lot out of me to to really muster that grit and determination day after day. So. We're excited to embark on something new, hopefully next year. And we'll have two uh, two little uh, wildlings to, to chase around as well while we're doing it. <laughs> so another level of challenge. For sure. Well, we will definitely be excited to hear about that when it's happening. But for today, I would love to ask you guys the last question, which is something we ask everybody who joins us for the Fit Bottomed Girls podcast. And that is... What's the last song you listened to before you joined us today? Oh, it's <laughs> good. <laughs> Seems like we've we've listened. Yeah, we haven't. Be, we've been, literally been on the road, and you think we'd like turn on the music at home, but since we got back for we're only home for like twenty four hours. Um, I think I don't even know what we. I don't even think we turned on the any music yesterday. It was almost like we just needed some uh, quiet. So. Um, yeah, that's a good good question, but it was probably, like Jenny said, we probably had some Gregory Allen Isaacoff on. Thank you both so much for making time for us. I know you only had like a few hours, you know, to yourself, and you gave a, an hour of that to us. I mean, I can't believe how lucky we are. Really, thank you so much I for know. being on the show today. Well, thanks so much for having us. It was fun. Thank you. We always, we always enjoy doing uh, different podcasts, and uh, thank you to all of your listeners. Love this show? Tell us why in a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it on the air. Also, make sure you are a subscriber. If you want to reach out to say hi or have a question about a recent episode, yay, well, feel free to email us at podcast at fitbottomgirls.com. And if this podcast jives perfectly with your brand, consider sponsoring the show. Get more info by emailing advertising at fitbottomgirls.com. Find all kinds of Fit Bottom goodness online and on social media at Fit Bottom Girls, Fit Bottom Mamas, Fit Bottom Eats, and Fit Bottom Zen. And if books and movies are your thing, check out the other podcast I co-host called Book vs. Movie, which you can find anywhere where you search for podcasts. Thanks for listening.